This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. From Christianity Today, I'm Sandra McCracken, and this is The Slow Work. We are all creatives at heart, no matter what career or calling we find ourselves in. Inspiration can happen in a second, but the work of creativity only happens when we're patient enough to stay with it. It takes grit to see it through. I love hearing what this looks like for musicians, poets, painters, writers, and advocates. So, I've been talking to them, and I want to invite you to listen in. As you do, I hope that your faith story gets tangled up in your work story and that your creative mind would be renewed by hope and possibility. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for joining us. My guest today is Jen Seeger. She's here at Nashville Running Big Table, which is a nonprofit organization that started in Spokane, Washington. Big Table exists to care for those working in the restaurant and hospitality industry folks that are in crisis or falling through the cracks. This is an organization that does a lot of beautiful work outside of the walls of the church, and I'm looking forward to bringing her story to you today. Hey, Jen, thank you so much for making time to be on The Slow Work with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Is your background in service or care ministry? Can you tell us a little bit about how you came in to do this work? I really don't have much of a background in the hospitality industry. I think I was a hostess one summer during college and mm-hmm. worked at a fast food restaurant, you know, in high school for a season. Really not much of a background there. But where mm-hmm. I did have overlap was I had been over a care department at a large church in Nashville for 12 and a half years when I stepped away to move into this role. So for me, it mm-hmm. was the care that was really my experience. Mm-hmm. And the hospitality part was kind of my area to learn about, as well as nonprofit versus church context. And so those have been the areas I've had to kind of learn and grow, and it's been you know awesome. But the care would be the kind of that underlying thread that mm-hmm. you know really kind of pulled me in to this work. Mm-hmm. And you're also a mom, so there's some care practice going on there too, right? I mean, all of it, yes, definitely. I mean, children are what help you know you aren't perfect <laughs> pretty mm. pretty quickly. It's truth. <laughs> so what I think is also important is that I am a child of divorce, and my dad left when I was three. I think the divorce was final mm. soon after turning four and really didn't have much of a relationship with him growing up, so raised with a single mom. Mm. And then part of my story is that I had an eating disorder from, gosh, senior of high school through senior of college. But what was beautiful about that is even though I'd grown up in the church, it was through the 12 steps and that particular challenge Mm. that I really learned about brokenness and surrender and just the power of a relationship with God that is in the broken places, not in the kind of Jen plus Jesus places, which is kind of how I think mm-hmm. I'd been operating up until mm-hmm. then, where you know, I didn't have any hostility towards the gospel, and yet I still mm-hmm. was sort of 
thinking it was up to me in a way. And Mm. there was something about getting to the end of myself. And then the 12 steps just were such a powerful tool for me to start to understand weakness and surrender and allowing Mm. God into places that I sort of felt like were up to me. And so I've done a lot of work just around those areas. And because of that, I think I have just a lot of empathy for addiction and for those types of patterns that we use sometimes to cope, but also Mm. the power of how relationship and sharing our broken places is often what puts us on a path Mm. towards healing. So somehow with just the life I kind of grew up in and then the ways that God met me in that, care Mm. has just been the backdrop. Care for myself, Mm. care for others, empathy, if, if you've got any familiarity around 12-step meetings, just a group mm-hmm. of people that are gathered because they all identify as having the same broken place and they share about mm-hmm. their own pain. They don't try to fix each other and magic happens. <laughs> so anyway, so I do think all of those things feed into just my heart for care and I'm kind of a natural advocate as well. Um, mm-hmm. and, and advocating for care really means advocating for people to get healthy and um, be able to live differently. Man, thank you for sharing that. Hearing some of that for the first time, even though I I know you and I appreciate our friendship already, realizing that there's a certain poetry in the way your story has unfolded, that there's some things that were written into your story early on that were even painful, that then later became part of what started to make sense in how you were able to turn around with that same energy of what had been painful for you then becomes like a place of generosity that you're able to give out of, even centered around food and a right. table. How crazy that there's is that? like healing yeah. in your story. I think that's a profound reminder that God is doing these things in our lives before we understand that there's actually something beautiful about it. And at the time, I'm sure when you were young and struggling and pushing through those 12 steps with um, arm in arm with these friends around a circle. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the time you're like, I, I don't see where this is going. <laughs> right. No, you know, it's a raw place. And then just to kind of cap it is, you know, in God's grace, I've been married to the same person for over 32 years. So mm-hmm. um, I'm an only child. I had three kids in three years. Like I was like, they are going to have siblings, mm-hmm. <laughs> which has its own yeah. downsides. But um, <laughs> but the thing is, is that there's just so much redemption in the fact that the life I have now is probably the life I longed for. And God has given it to me just at a different season, you know. So that also is encouraging that you aren't destined to stay in the patterns that you might have grown up in. Yeah. It's an encouraging reminder of that. And I think it's easier to see it in someone else. And then so many times in my own story, Mm -hmm. I will make disclaimers of like, well, that's not really, that doesn't really apply to me. Or this doesn't really seem like it's going to get better. Or (laughs) this place of brokenness, we opt out for ourselves before Mm -hmm. we receive the grace that's right in front of us, you know, and it keeps coming for us. And I think God really continues to pursue us and is not intimidated by our voluntary opting out (laughs) of whatever that might be, you know? No, I mean, Um, and and journaling and things like that help remind mm, you of, of places, you know, I, um, I've been journaling, gosh, since the late eighties, and ironically, mm. those original journals were food journals, like when I was documenting everything I ate. 
that then turned into more cries, you know, for help that then turned mm. into just being able to kind of throw up on paper, you know, just mm. the, the things yeah. that are hurting you or, wow. and yet to this day, that's a huge part of my kind of daily or, you know, what's funny is how you, I don't write as much if things are going well, you know, I'm more of a, uh-huh. cr- a crisis journaler. <laughs> uh-huh. and, and so just recognizing that constant dance of being uncomfortable, crying out to God, getting comfortable enough that then you start ignoring him, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. Anyway, so, um, but it is interesting how having written stuff down for a few decades, even if I don't go back and read it, I have mm-hmm. a little bit more of a, a memory of the places I've been brought out of, mm-hmm. which is helpful <laughs> when you're in new hard places. It's true. I, I've been a journaler for a very long time, and it's something that I don't like to go back and read it, mm-hmm. but I, I do feel like it helps me to actually think my own thoughts and to understand what they are when I can write it down. And then I look back, even just in the moment, and just read over what I just wrote. And it's more coherent than it is in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Especially sometimes if there are multiple things going on at one time, or if you're in crisis, or just a crisis of how complex things are. I think it's a way of being a verbal processor. It's like being a journal processor. <laughs> Absolutely. No. And sometimes it's almost like you're, it can be almost a prayer, like I'm almost talking to God yeah. in it. Do you have a mm-hmm. plan if something happened to you unexpectedly for someone to like burn them? <laughs> Do you? Have- that is a great question. <laughs> I, <laughs> I haven't thought about it. I really hope that they're not really for any reason. <laughs> they're not really to be read. Exactly. I think they're to be processed. I, I have, so that's yeah. maybe I should write have a plan. <laughs> I have a friend. Okay. Somebody got me like thinking about what's your plan? What's your plan? Because like uh-huh. I got books of them and, and starting in my you know 20s. So like they're I'm sure they're not all pretty, but I know I've got that thought of, I feel like I've told my daughter, um, okay, this is your job. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm going to tuck that away because that's, (laughs) that's probably a good thing I should consider just to be a responsible journaler. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit. Okay, so I'd love to hear just, it doesn't have to be an elevator pitch, but if you gave, in your own words, what what is Big Table if somebody's hearing this for the first time? Yeah. How would you define the work that you're doing now with this organization? So Big Table itself is a nonprofit, faith-based but not faith-forward, so there's no expectation of what someone believes to be cared for in mm-hmm. part of our community. But mm-hmm. if asked, we would, you know, explain why we do the things we do. And we will periodically kind of point to faith as a resource is one of the many ways you can kind of 
move in life and kind of get more stability. But Big Table is specifically focused on caring for those who work in restaurants in the hospitality industry, which is primarily restaurants and hotels. So mm-hmm. that can be concession stands, food trucks. There's there's some food service is probably a looser way to say it, but mm-hmm. but typically it's restaurants and hotels would be the main groups. And that kind of care is in a lot of ways initially similar to what a lot of churches might call a deacon's fund or a benevolence fund. So there's there's funding to help okay. alleviate crises that have led to being behind on rent or a car repair you can't afford, those types of things. But mm-hmm. what is more similar to the care context I'm coming out of, having run a care department at a church where we put a lot of emphasis on pastoral care with both a Mm full-time pastor of care and a full-time director of care. And I was the director working kind of in tandem to care for individuals and couples and alongside of outsourced counselors and other resources, the relational piece. And so what Mm -hmm. we really believe is that relationship is what changes people. You know, certainly paying a bill can can help, Mm -hmm. and yet it might not change someone. And so it's the friendship Mm -hmm. and the having someone in your corner, which is what a lot of times care recipients will refer to us as, that isn't also drowning. Because for a lot of these folks in this industry, because the industry itself, um, as we learned even more so in COVID, even though COVID didn't cause the challenges, it just exposed them as I kind of feel like COVID did everywhere as it really didn't cause Mm -hmm. as much as it revealed. But often there's not a net, depending on where you live. The tip wage is, you know, a questionable method for Mm -hmm. um, having a steady paycheck. And um, there's just a lot of things, maybe no insurance, that, that just add to someone's vulnerability when something happens. And so Big Table exists to be a place that you can turn to when something has happened before it becomes something bigger. So, for example, you have a car repair you can't fix, but then all of a sudden now you can't get to work to make money to Mm -hmm. fix the car. (laughs) So you can just sort of see how something that seems sort of small or like with COVID – especially early on, totally, but also they were mandatorily kept out for two weeks initially, like even if it was just Mm. their kid who had it. And so that's a full pay period. You cannot work enough to make up a pay period if you're an hourly person. And so a lot of what we were navigating were people having missed work um, because of COVID-related exposure Mm. and just helping to offset getting behind on rent or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it but it moves towards trying to create a relationship. So we have a couple full-time care coordinators who will meet with these folks. If there's a little bit of margin, we might get coffee first and then learn kind of what's going on before deciding kind of the best way to help and support them. The other thing that's unique about Big Table is we're a referral model, not a hotline. So somebody doesn't uh-huh. call up and say, I'm behind on my rent. It, rather, a coworker or a manager says, hey, I've got this single mom, three kids who cannot catch a break, and her car has broken down for the fourth time. You know, can y'all help? Mm-hmm. And so we're being invited in, which is just so much more dignifying, really, than having to ask. And, and there's nothing wrong with asking for help, but it does reframe the whole process because yeah. we focus on an industry, not an issue. 
And yet this uh-huh. industry has all the issues, addiction, high divorce rates, formerly incarcerated folks able to come to find jobs in this industry, people new to the country, mm-hmm. limited English. So when you really think about the hospitality industry to include hotels, think housekeeping for hotels or back of house, you realize, oh, wow, some of the most marginalized groups collect in this industry. So it makes sense Mm -hmm. that this industry has the highest rates of poverty, highest rates of addiction, you know, just has some of those statistics that nobody wants. And then even the timing of it, I'm guessing this launch had been planned for some time, but launching in the really still like In the middle of the pandemic, essentially. Nashville was supposed to launch in 2020. And Mm -hmm. instead, Big Table in Spokane, Washington, San Diego, they ended up getting moved into full triage around COVID. So Mm -hmm. you weren't meeting with people. You weren't doing relational care. You were just paying rents and you were just, you know, doing all the things you could to help people stay afloat. And so it was launched when you would say COVID is still going. But at that point, it was what we still hear about, but even more extreme on workforce, you know, not having enough folks Mm -hmm. and not filling restaurants and and all the government limitations, depending on where you were on um, capacity and that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. um, there certainly were those kinds of things. But Big Tables existed since 2009. So it it wasn't created because of COVID. It, the industry has always had these issues. Um, right. I think what COVID has done for Big Table is more people recognize the service industry and frontline workers. Like, I don't even remember using that term three years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, we have an appreciation, I think, for some of the roles that we may have just sort of took for granted, you know, kind of didn't Mm -hmm. see actual human beings in them. And I do think that there's something about the pandemic that made us all see outside of our bubbles a little bit and be a little more empathetic. Yeah, we had to, in this situation, and I know a lot of people even in the music side of things too, where if your livelihood is this one thing Hmm. and then you can't play at shows or you can't show up for work for a period of time, it's... There's just not anything to fall back on in that situation that fast. You know, you can't learn a whole new thing. You can't go back to school. You can't. <laughs> That takes time. And I think then you're just kind of left with your our shared human experience, which is like, okay, what now? <laughs> what are we, right. What are we going to do? And so there's, so with your background in the 12-step program and, and thinking about humility and the vulnerability that is the first thing mm-hmm. through the door, essentially, But then the work is empowering Mm -hmm. and, you know, strengthening people in this place. So saying like, let's bring our vulnerability and let's, let's transform it like with a heart for the gospel, like let's transform it for strength and for resourcing people to do more than they could have otherwise done. Um, When there's a cycle of living months a month Mm -hmm. or a cycle of, Sometimes it's around just the habits that go along with living months a month, right? And is there a way that you're training people to think differently about paying bills and insurance and all these kinds of things? I mean, honestly, it's just kind of coaching towards capacity building is what we call it, Mm -hmm. which just means being able to be more self-sustaining and to have some level of, of planning and ability to ride the waves a little bit without, Mm -hmm. you know, one thing sort of undoing everything. That would be an area where I would say that 
my church work had helped some as well because a benevolence fund is typically used for folks within a church community who've hit hard times, whether they've lost a job unexpectedly or had a medical mm-hmm. procedure that was unexpected. So there's some level of always trying to walk that line where you're helping someone, but you don't want to create dependence. And mm-hmm. so you've got to right. kind of strike that balance of helping enough, but not too much. And not in a cruel way, but honestly, in an honoring way that we want more for you than just the Band-Aid of the financial fix Mm -hmm. in this moment. Mm -hmm. So from a training standpoint, I mean, I think I had gotten a lot more training in that just on the job training, just navigating different situations. But Mm -hmm. what it also had done is it had trained me to network. And so because we focus on an industry, not an issue, and we have all the issues, that means that I have gotten connected to the folks that specialize in homelessness, the folks that specialize in addiction recovery, the folks that specialize in medical treatment for uninsured. Like, we can help network the folks we care for to these other resources. So we partner with all of them and we share people. Mm -hmm. um, And they can offer things and we're sending people to them to utilize what they exist for. And so there's a lot of community building mm-hmm. that's happening both within the industry, but also within the nonprofits, because because we're a little unique in the fact that we care for multiple issues and just the way we're structured, it kind of puts us as a hub and spoke model. And we would be the hub because we've got the people. And most of these nonprofits are trying to get people to utilize the services that they are specializing in. And so it creates this great little ecosystem of support. On top of that, because most other nonprofits are focused on marginalized populations. So, for example, say you are focused on helping women coming out of trafficking. What are the odds that the first job you might be able to get for them might be in hospitality? pretty high. Yeah. You know, and so you just start to realize that we've got people that we can care for they're working with, they can care for, you know, it, it's just mm-hmm. been really kind of cool and and so I talk a lot about collaborative care and sharing people. So from that standpoint, a lot of the training honestly happens situation by situation where a need comes up, we resource that need and in the process of doing that, we create relationships with other folks that are caring for people too. I did come into it having a network, a starting place, Mm -hmm. but I was navigating fairly suburban problems in a church context. And so Mm -hmm. there definitely have been a lot of areas that I've learned more about. And I've often said one of my favorite parts of my job has been learning about all the incredible nonprofits that Nashville has, primarily faith-based ones, but not all, Mm -hmm. that are doing incredible work. And it's been so encouraging to be connected to a nonprofit that isn't in competition and actually needs them all. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. like, there's no, it's all good if we um, share people. It's not a, you know, zero-sum game. It's like, this is awesome that we can work together. I love that term, collaborative care. And Mm -hmm. I can relate to it in a different type of work, but I also see how how valuable that is to work together and to link arms with one another, but to each have a slightly different vantage point. And Mm -hmm. you might see something a different way than Thistle Farms would see something Then you know, there might be just angles of, of ability and resourcing that you could 
give to help people to live beyond scarcity, to help mm -hmm. people to build their capacity. I also love that phrase, capacity building that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And I, I would imagine, does it take imagination Absolutely. to some degree to figure yeah. out what Because it seems like every one of these situations is going to need a different response. Yeah. I mean, you do learn things and, and there are certain things that I would say we would do more than once, but absolutely. I mean, honestly, it's just, you're getting to know people and not mm -hmm. a um, transactional way, but in a relational way. And what do you do mm -hmm. in relationship? You learn about people and you kind of meet them yeah. where they are. And if you overlap with interest, I mean, you could just see how this would move out so much from just a agency type of approach of caring for someone mm -hmm. where you're just paying a bill, but you might not even know them. So that's so it, good. How yeah. do we, how do we move from that transactional way of being into a relational way of being uh, one tiny example of that would be just last year at Christmas with my kids, I was making lists of what to get for them. I have two that are kind of middle, like teenagers, young mm -hmm. teenagers, and then one young. And, and I just, I was making notes about like, what, what would they like? And then we, one of the kids came home doing a test on love languages and some personality mm -hmm. tests and stuff. And so then then I was thinking about this Christmas list for them. Okay. And these are the people that, I mean, three of them that I gave birth to, like I should know them. And mm -hmm. I was like surprised by things I had not noticed about what they love and how to figure out, okay, if I want to give them a gift, it's going to be different for each of them based on who they are. And mm -hmm. so it's not that I want to be transactional with my kids, but I really have to pay attention, even with the people that I live in a house with, you know, and then you move out from what you're describing is like becoming friends, like having a relationship with people that there's dignity in that where you're not mm -hmm. just giving a handout, but you're actually dignifying them with the question and the imagination of solutions and empowerment that might actually give them s some way forward that they hadn't had before. No, absolutely. And, and you're just doing life with them. I mean, this particular care recipient um, shared with the care coordinator that, he'd had his birthday and only his fiance told him happy birthday, not his family, not whomever. And that was just really hard. And so when the delivery was made, took him to breakfast to give him everything, but actually had like a mm. little SUV that we filled the back with wrap presents and like a banner that said happy birthday and made it like a pop-up birthday. And again, that's just a little bit of extra effort, but it's because somebody shared their heart that, and, and to just try to like meet them in that place and, and, and surprise them and delight yeah. them. And so there's a lot that's actually really fun um, because mm -hmm. the creativity is like it. you're, you're getting to creatively, you know, be a blessing to someone. So, yeah, so there's a lot that's just great. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At BOW, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. 
In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. I wanted to just share this memory of being at the Nashville Big Table Breakfast and we were gathered at one of the tables and then watched this video with just some of the stories of people that have been cared for in Big Table. I remember one family and there was like, they were about to have a baby and received the generous support and coaching from a caregiver in Big Table. I have been a chef for most of my life. I work in a restaurant. I am a bartender. Greeting people, busing, serving food, mixing cocktails, take orders, hand out food. Yo hago limpieza de cuartos. Mi trabajo es preparador de comida. I've been in the service industry working in restaurants. I do bartending, lounge serving. Mi trabajo es preparadora. I was on furlough from the restaurant that I worked at. I was in a position where I needed some help to pay my rent and take care of my family and put food on my table. It was very hard for us to get groceries. Everything was kind of just stress and pressure. When I first connected with Megan at Big Table, I automatically felt like, okay, the world has opened up for me and my family right now to receive some assistance. I just kind of feel like this is family. The fellowship is one of the main things that we have, whether it be over the phone, at a coffee shop, there's a purpose. He's always willing to talk about things in a deeper level, about his story or his faith. I just remember just feeling so welcomed and free and accepted, and then she just would always have gift cards for us to be able to budget groceries. It's hard when you, you can't feed your kid. With those gift cards, uh, she had no idea what she was doing for us. Jethro moved into a new apartment and Big Table was able to come alongside him and give him some financial support and give him some household goods. We had the privilege of inviting Jethro to our industry dinner and seeing him and Jasmine feel so honored. I think he was overwhelmed with how treasured he was. Just the lavishness of that whole scene and this little window into hey, what could this be like? How could this be different? That has stayed with me and I'm really grateful. Yeah. The reason that we're called Big Table is because we actually have a physical table that is in storage nearby that seats 48 people. And we have a couple of dinners a year, three last year, I think it'll only be two this year, but we refer to them as industry dinners. And that 48 seat table, it's 45 feet long, and it's, you know, one long table that's not, like, chopped up or anything. We fill it with 48 people who work in the industry. And it will include people who've received care from us, people who've worked at restaurants that we, you know, work with or have gotten to know. You know, sometimes it can have owners and, and general managers and, you know, people that you would consider higher up in hospitality. And yet they're all working together. And so you, all of them sitting at this table, no VIPs, no specials, so you could have a housekeeper in a hotel sitting next to somebody who is like the CEO of a hospitality group. But but what's beautiful about it is we serve a six or seven course meal 
And um, many of these folks have never been on the side of being served. They're always the ones doing the serving. And so it's a night to honor them, care for them, build community with the industry by just sort of collectively loving on them. And then the servers are typically folks who maybe haven't done as much of the serving. I mean, they might have in college or something, but our very first dinner that we did, the serving team was the C-suite or the corporate, you know, all the corporate <laughs> positions of a hospitality group at the hotel so where we were. So this is a role reversal for, a role for reversal. everybody involved. Yeah. That and then, and honestly, I think a lot about that parable of the wedding banquet or the one where, you know, the guy's mm. told to go out and find people because the people he invited all blew them yes. off. <laughs> and so, yeah. and I mean, there's just so many gospel kind he of said, parallels um, around it. And, and yeah, it's just didn't beautiful. Yeah, did say, I want... I want my house full. Yeah, like just go get them. If these guys go. don't want to come, just like go on out and find, and, find yeah. people who want to come. And what's really special about that, when we think about community, I mean, I've talked so much about the individual care, but this is collective care. And what's so mm-hmm. awesome is that the industry that we're supporting has the resources for the events we do. So mm-hmm. at these dinners, the last dinner we had, Every seat, every one of the 48 seats was filled, and I'd not had that happen yet since we opened. We'd done well, but we always had a few that no-showed at the last minute. But in this instance, every one of the 48 seats was filled. The Hilton that allowed us to be there didn't charge us. The chef from a fancy hotel downtown gifted us his talent. The food was sourced. The wine was donated. So you have the industry basically providing um, another person, another group, a bartender at a local wine bar created a mocktail for us and, and served that night. And so you see the industry coming together to really provide for itself and its people. And it really is just such a lovely picture of everybody coming together to celebrate and to honor one another. And to see some of these care recipients, primarily the way that they seem to feel with having this level of kind of enthusiasm around mm-hmm. them and coming, yeah. it is, it's so great. Oh, my goodness. And so that's where like it, your husband, Tim, like the, a couple events ago, like he literally yeah, was in the dish pit. Oh, he was in the dish yeah, pit. Like, he, yeah, he, we, he, he like, one that was yeah. serving waiting table. He comes home from doing that and is just like on cloud nine. He's so yeah. happy. And the, the ability to get in there and just, um, but either serve in the dish pit or serve around the table and to just be kind of out of your normal element of He's also your, such a foodie, though. He's so he into it. Oh, my he's heavens. He loves all those people. I mean, he's so fascinated by it all. That's true. Well, you know, one of the compelling early stories I heard about Big Table was really just this this honor around seeing yes. people that are often looked over, like yes. people just don't see whoever's waiting tables at the restaurant mm-hmm. and people don't really notice or take interest and actually ask a question and step out of these roles that we're in of, of the service industry and hospitality industry. And something about what you guys are doing in this work is like, setting off the fireworks of generosity that is already Mm. in people to do, right? But you're sparking something to say, we want to move from not seeing and Mm -hmm. not knowing anyone by name to actually knowing you by name, knowing what lights you up, what would I want to send you in that SUV for your birthday, Mm. just getting to, to down to the heart of that. And then sharing a meal. I mean, I think having 
a 48-person table is just a grand vision, and it's one that really points to how we're wired and what we're made for. And I've said that so many times when I sing that song, We Have a Feast, and I just Mm -hmm. say it as an example. I wrote this song about, you know, feasting, but the vision of that song Mm -hmm. is really that, that we will one day sit around tables and we will remember the things that God has done. And at that time, we won't have the tears, but we will have all the rich memory. And Mm -hmm. what we're doing now is all pointing and is none of it's going to be lost and none of it's going to be forgotten because God in his abundant memory is going to hold all of it. And it somehow it all is centered around this table. also an interesting and providential part of the timing of of the Nashville Big Table launch is that we are more divided. We have more reasons Mm. to divide. And what we're saying here is like everyone has a seat at the table, which is a phrase people say a lot, but really meaning there's there is something that we have to suspend judgment. And Mm -hmm. this is a way of breaking down all of those barriers, which is coming back to the call of who we are. If, if we're going to be about restoring all things, it's going to get messy and it's going to be, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Like these dinners are a lot of fun. So fun. So fun. Yeah. There's just a a lot to celebrate in the history and in in what is still uh, unfolding for this city and for this community, both within the church and outside of the church, just that God's generosity does not just is not limited to the walls inside the walls of the church, and I think what you're doing shows that mm-hmm. and demonstrates that, and and uh, it's beautiful to see it. So I'm glad, and even more so today, to hear um, from you and the personal aspects of your story to how it's all woven together in in the calling on your life yeah. and in the work you're doing now, and um, I'm excited to see where that goes too. Yeah, I mean nothing's wasted. I mean, it feels mm-hmm. like, you know, in God's economy, nothing's wasted. And yeah. which would be, you know, similar with just one of these dinners where it's yeah. just such a picture of that and, and just the lavish love that can be shown through food and drink and people, you know, there is something. Mm. Yeah, it's very immersive. Mm-hmm. It's not just a theology that we're talking about, but it's, it's I mean, taste and see out. that the Lord is good, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's literally yeah. that. Yeah, so good. Well, we are excited to see where where all this goes here in Nashville. Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, it, it's been a it's really been a joy to get to be kind of frontline for the Nashville yeah. version of this. So, mm-hmm. yeah, appreciate the chance just to even talk about it. Yeah, thanks so much for being on. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. As we have given shape to these episodes on the slow work, I think a lot about creativity and 
have had these conversations with many creatives and sometimes creativity falls outside of the normal conventions of what you think creative work might be. I love hearing Jen share about the vision of this work and the stories from this work because it shows me that imagination and the slow work really does show up in some surprising places. The Slow Work is a production of Christianity Today. Executive produced by Mike Cosper. Produced by Azure Phelps. Edited and mixed by Dan Phelps. Original music by Tyler Chester. Graphic design by Chris Bennett. And I'm your host, Sandra McCracken. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>